Amy and David and Octet and Billy. If you have your Bibles, find Second Chronicles, please. It's a little bit hard to find, but find First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and then Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-four. And we'll start in a few minutes. We'll start at verse eight. Second Chronicles again, first and second Samuel and first and second Kings and Second Chronicles thirty-four. Our church is uh, two hundred and eleven years old, which means we have a lot of history. And I was uh, working on a story from days gone by and went down to our history room looking for church minutes. And um, I never had seen it, but I stumbled upon a book. This book. On the front is uh, engraved Huntsville Baptist Church, August 1869. This was the Pew Bible, 1869, 151 years ago. This assumed a prominent place in the sanctuary of our church. 1869 was not long after the, the church, the congregation had moved from in the country up near Meridianville uh, to the corner of uh, Clinton and Gallatin streets in the boom town of uh, Huntsville. If it's like most pew Bibles, like that pew Bible down there on the communion table, it was there for decades, which meant that this book, this Bible, uh, sat in a prominent place when our forefathers and foremothers sang hymns, some of which we still sing. It sat in a prominent place and heard the prayers of people for their husbands and fathers and sons who marched off to World War I. Pastors, my pastoral predecessors, either opened this book or at least stood behind this book and uh, declared, thus says the Lord. This to me is a special book. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our history. 600 years before Jesus, Hilkiah, the priest at the temple in Jerusalem, stumbled upon a book. They were renovating the temple, and uh, he stumbled upon this book, blew the dust off of it, and said, it's the Bible. It, actually, it's the book of the law, which was probably, scholars say, the book of Deuteronomy, maybe a collection of the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the, the point is that he found a copy of Holy Scripture. He told Shaphan, who was the secretary to Josiah the king, Shaphan took the book, the Bible, to Josiah and began to read from it. And Josiah said, I need to know more. I need to know the meaning. I need to know the application, the interpretation of this book. And so it wasn't long until uh, there was a group of guys going to see the woman prophet whose name was Huldah. Let's read about that, please, in 2 Chronicles 34. And again, we'll start at verse 8. We'll skip around a little bit because it's a long story. Verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, he is king of Judah. To purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and 
Masiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So he sent his secretary to the temple. The temple is now under reparations. If you'll skip down to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. These are the construction workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And if you've been in Sunday school or church for a while, you know that when, when, when the Bible, when someone tears his robes, it's a sign of, of grief, of lament. The king tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Aikam. And by the way, I'm just guessing at some of these words in case there's any, any confusion. To Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's attendant, and said, Go, the king said, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for, and, and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us, because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And by the way, just pull over just for a second. We'll talk about this later. But note that he tears his, he tears his robes in deep lament over what his predecessors had not done. He said they have not kept the words of the Lord. We'll come back to that another day. Verse 22, Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah who was the wife. She, this is a woman, but in those days, she was still known as the, the wife of, she was a woman, but still known as a wife. So he says, Hilkiah, those, they sit with him and went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And she interpreted the words of that book. Now to verse 28, the middle of verse 28. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledged themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. During August, you may know we are celebrating the uh, centennial of women's suffrage, the fact that a hundred years ago, in, on August 18, 1920, a hundred years ago this coming Wednesday, uh, the 19th Amendment was ratified, which gave women in America the right to vote. So we're celebrating women, we're talking about what the Bible says about women, and we're talking about women in the Bible. 
In light of that, let's talk about this woman named Huldah, the prophet, the prophet, the woman prophet Huldah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and even at an early age, he was a deeply spiritual person. But his royal predecessors had not been deeply spiritual. He had inherited a mess, including his, his father, who had been king before him. They, they had embraced pagan gods, false gods, idols. They had built temples or, or um, altars to these false god. they had gods. They had built this Asherah, these Asherah poles that were kind of like we totem poles. And, and, and worst of all, they had embraced the worship of Molech, which involved the, the sacrifice of children. Josiah came along as a, as a reformer. He, he wanted more for Judah, his kingdom. So he did two things. He destroyed, had all the altars to the pagan gods destroyed. He, he tore up all the, the, they called them the high places where they would worship the pagan gods and, and tore down all the Asherah poles and outlawed the worship of Molech. And, but he also did something positive. Not just, he didn't just do away with the, the pagan worship. He also restored the temple so that the temple would be what it was intended to be and, and people would come back and worship again at the temple. So he had the, 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 the temple was renovated and restored. And in the process of that renovation, Hilkiah, the priest, found a book and he blew the dust off of it and said, this is scripture, this is holy scripture. And so he said to Shaphan, Shaphan was down there overseeing uh, he was the secretary to Josiah. He was overseeing the renovation of the temple. And he said to the secretary to the king, Shaphan, he said, take this to the king. I have found this book and he needs to know about it. So Shaphan took it to the king, Josiah, Josiah. So Shaphan opened that book and he read the words of the book. And, and King Josiah was so torn, he was so grieved, he tore his clothes. And, and then he said... Go and inquire of the Lord for me about the words written in this book. That's really important. Go ask the Lord about the words written in this book. In other words, I see the ink on the page. I hear the words. But I need interpretation. I need application. I need to know more. I want to know not just what it says. I need to know what it says. So go inquire of the Lord. So Shaphan, the secretary, he went to the priest in Hilkiah at the temple. And he said, the king wants me to go ask the Lord something. I'm not sure exactly how that works. And Hilkiah, the priest, said, oh, I know how that works. We need to go see Huldah. Now, it's interesting to me that, that these are the days of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was alive. Jeremiah was like the Billy Graham you know, of Judah but they didn't go see him. Zephaniah, another prophet, was alive. He was like the, the Rick Warren, you know, the saddleback pastor of Judah, but they didn't go see him. They went to see Huldah, the woman prophet. And when they got there, she didn't say, well, you know, I'm a woman and I probably shouldn't weigh in on this. She said, you might want to grab your papyrus notebook and a quill, because you're going to want to take notes. For this is what the Lord says to you through this book. And she gave interpretation and application and meaning to the words on the page. Which brings us to the need for the interpretation 
of the Bible. So we have words on a page, of course, but we need more. Josiah saw the words on the page, heard the words read by his secretary, but he said, go and inquire what is written in this book. It's not enough to know what the Bible says. We, ha we have to study to see what the Bible says. Let me try to, let me put it this way, and this is over, an overgeneralization, but let me put it this way. There are basically three, three ways of reading the Bible. Number one is to read it dismissively. Now, these are those who believe the Bible is good literature, but merely good literature. They would not see it as the Word of God revealed to humankind. They would see the Bible as fables and legends and myths. Not as, again, not as revealed Scripture, but as, you know, the writings of people who are trying to figure out what's out there. So the first way to read the Bible is, you know, some people do read it dismissively as mere literature. The second way to read the Bible is to read it simplistically, naively, undiscerningly. There's even a, 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 a bumper sticker for this way of reading the Bible. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that's not a bad thing some of the time. Some of the time, this undiscerning, simplistic, naive reading of the Bible can get you into trouble. Wade Burleson is a friend of mine. He's pastor of the Emmanuel Enid Baptist Church out in Oklahoma. He has been for a long time a volunteer police chaplain. Some years ago, he was called by the Tulsa Police Department and said they wanted him to come to a scene where a young man had taken his life. Now, <clears throat> I hope you'll forgive me for the graphic nature of this story. There's no, there's no polite way to say some of these things. The, man, uh, had, the young man who had taken his life had cut off his right hand with a pocket knife. He had died by bleeding out. He had lost, he died by losing his, all the blood in his body. And he had, but after he, took, he cut off his right hand, he threw it into a trash can. Knowing that he would die there and knowing he would be found, he opened the Bible to Matthew 5, underlined a verse, and laid the, the bloody knife, pocket knife, in, on the top, the open pages of that Bible. The verse he had underlined was this, Matthew 5, 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Wade Burleson said he'd never forget walking into that scene the severed appendage over there in the garbage can. The Bible opened to Matthew 5 and the bloody knife lying there. And he said, he'll never forget, there was one of the policemen was just wandering around muttering to himself under his breath, stupid, stupid, stupid. Wade wrote, oh, by the way, he, Wade found out later that the man had suffered with an addiction to pornography and had read those words of Matthew 5 literally without taking the time or going to the trouble perhaps to understand the meaning behind those words. What was Jesus getting at without getting interpretation, without getting application? The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's the kind of naive, undiscerning way of reading the Bible. So Wade wrote later, 
The man took the words of the Bible and obeyed them. However, there is something mighty stupid about a man who reads Scripture and acts on words without taking time to look at their meaning. 2 Peter 3.16 says this about the Scriptures of Paul, the writings of Paul. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. So there are three ways of reading the Bible. One is we read it dismissively as mere literature, you know, fables and legends and fairy tales. That's how some read the Bible. Another way to read the Bible is simplistically, undiscerningly, naively. And there's sometimes when this works, there are certain sections of Scripture that are so uh, simple and straightforward that even a novice and a child can understand them. Please hear me. There are some some sections of Scripture so straightforward and simple, even a child or a novice can understand them. But sometimes we need more than a simplistic reading of the Bible. So there's a third way to read the Bible. Dismissively undiscerningly. The third way is to read it carefully and prayerfully and discerningly. To know what, not only what does the ink on the page say, but what does the Bible say to us? Josiah knew it's not enough just to read the words. We, he said, go and inquire the Lord. So they went to Holder. They went to an expert who gave them application, meaning, interpretation. So we consult the experts, don't we? we? We buy commentaries, we buy study Bibles, we go to Sunday school, the Bible study, and small groups where we have good curriculum, a curricula, you know, to help us understand. We ask questions of each other, we entertain questions, because sometimes we have to dig. We have to dig. These words of Scripture were written millennia ago in another part of the world. It's not like reading a letter from your friend in Athens or Scottsboro. This is, this is ancient literature in another time and culture. And so we have to dig to know the meaning of the Bible. But if we're going to interpret the Bible, we're not always going to interpret it the same. It's not science. There's something subjective about that. Even if we're prayerful and careful, we're still going to come to different interpretations of Scripture. Which brings us to the topic of women in leadership in the church. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to talk about this next week, but I want to read two passages, and I'm going to read them slowly, but they'll be familiar to many of you. Two passages most often quoted to limit uh, the role of women in the church. The first is 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, if you look at the ink on the page, that's pretty clear. A woman is somebody who's not a man, and quiet means no noise. So far, pretty simple. That's 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. The second one is 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. Women, not men, silent, no noise. So far, pretty simple. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. 
If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, if we're going to read that simplistically, there's no need to wrestle with it. There's no need to ask for interpretation or application. It's just as it is. But even our most conservative sister churches, most of them don't interpret that literally. For they have women who, would, who sing solos or in the choir or who make announcements or who teach children. So even, even our most conservative sister churches don't interpret that most of them don't interpret that literally. They take some liberties. They, they interpret that. Now here at, um, at FBC Huntsville, we carefully and prayerfully and discerningly, I hope, try to look for the meaning of, of the Bible. Not just the ink on the page, but the meaning. And so we take those two passages seriously, but we also look at other passages in the Bible. We look at the story of Huldah, who was a woman prophet. We look at the story of Deborah last week, who was a woman prophet. We look at Acts 2, where Peter says, this is the day of the Lord that Joel declared when, when God would pour out His Spirit on everybody, and men and women would prophesy. And we remember Priscilla, who taught Apollos. Priscilla was a woman, and Apollos was a man. And, and we remember Junia, who was an apostle, and Phoebe, who was a deacon. And I'm about to get ahead of myself and preach next week's sermon. So I'm, but we look not only at those two texts, we look at, we look at the entire Bible. 1 Corinthians 14 says women should be silent in the churches. 1 Corinthians 11, three chapters earlier, says when women prophesy and pray, they should cover their heads. So, boy, that's, that's a head-scratcher. So at FBC Huntsville, we, we, we discerningly, carefully, prayerfully look at, at the Bible and try to get the meaning. And, and that, so our, the way we understand it, and, and even on this topic, we're, we're a big tent church. We wouldn't all agree exactly on these things, but... But generally speaking, we, mean, we believe that means that women have a place in the church. So we have women deacons, and, and, and so Kristen is the, uh, the minister to kids and families, and Shelley, who will start tomorrow, is the uh, associate minister to kids and families, and Charlie's the minister to contemporary worship, and Holly is the minister uh, to meeting adults. And, and so we have discerningly, carefully, prayerfully said, you know, there's more to it than just the ink on the, on the page. So this story of Josiah the king who hears the words of the, of, of the Bible from Shaphan, his secretary, and, and he says, go inquire the Lord. So we've seen the importance of, of interpreting the Bible, and now we've looked at, you know, Huldah was a woman prophet. And so, but now we come to the real point of the story, because the story really not is about women in ministry, and it's, it's, about, it's about the Bible. It's about the Bible. So, so Hilkiah was helping renovate the church, but my hunch is he was probably not helping renovate. He probably had people like Mike Kirk and Debbie Bell working on that. You know, he was, Hilkiah was probably studying somewhere and, and walked down there just to see what might be going on. Mike and Debbie, what's going on down here? And, and he looked over in the corner and he saw the book. And it, I know it wasn't this book, but just imagine so he blew the dust off the book and said, this is, this is Holy Scripture. This is the book of the law. Shaphan, secretary to Josiah, you've got to see this. Shaphan took it to the... I hope it wasn't far because this is a heavy book. He carried it to the, 
carried it to the palace and said, King, you got to see this. King Josiah, he, he was cut deep and he lamented his nation's history. And he said, now I know why we've, we've fallen so badly, why we've backslidden so far, because we've not paid attention to the book. One of my best friends is named John. He lives in a state, not Alabama. He's not a pastor. Um, John grew up hard in a poor family that was dis what we would now say dysfunctional. His father was an alcoholic. His mother was a harsh woman who took out her unhappiness on John and John's two sisters. John wrote about his family. My parents fought bitterly, constantly, and in front of me. They said terribly vile things to one another that no child should ever hear. My father used God's name only when followed by the word damn. He was an alcoholic for my entire memory and drank himself to death at age 54. John then wrote about his mother. My mother would never share with me the joys of God's love. She only would refer to God to tell me of his judgment and punishment at my behavior that displeased her most. In other words, she'd say, if, if John was misbehaving, she'd say, uh, God's not going to love you and God's going to get you. Now John, by the time I knew him, was a follower of Jesus and faithful to his church. But John uh, struggled with these inner struggles that so many who are adult children of alcoholics struggle with. And so, so John had these struggles that were very real and haunting. But three things happened to John. Number one, he read the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, and he discovered grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. John calls grace the loftiest concept imaginable to the mind of God, and it captivated John. And it changed the way God, John looked at God, and it changed the way John looked at himself. So the first thing that happened to John was he discovered grace. Second thing was, he, he decided to tithe. Now this is not a sermon on tithing. It's not about the money. It's about the step of faith that he took. John grew up so poor. And, and some of you understand this. When you grow up poor, you always have a sense of insecurity, of financial insecurity. And so John had inherited that. So to give away a tenth of his income seemed so hard. And when he, when he decided to to give a tenth of his income to God through his church. That was the second thing that happened. First, grace. Second, the tithe. The third thing was, John fell in love with the Bible. John decided, I'm going to read this every day. Then he, he decided, I'm going to read it all the way through. And now he reads it through every year. Uh, he told me Friday, this is the, he's done it 13 times. He's on number 14 now. I wish you could know the difference it's made in John's life. His sense of peace, his sense of direction, his sense of hope, his roots. I would want that same, I would want that same thing for you. Josiah read from the book and there was a revival, spiritual renewal in the kingdom of Judah. 
Their hearts were changed. Their lives were transformed. Judah became a different Judah. And Josiah called everybody together, the elders, and from the least to the greatest. And I don't know if he preached or not. I think he just read from the, from the book. And they renewed their covenant, their binding commitment between humankind and the creator of the universe. I would want that for you to know and to love, and to live the words of Holy Scripture. God will use the God, God's Spirit will use the Bible. God's Spirit will use the Bible uh, to transform your life.